Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand, and this is where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am down here in Florida, and I finally have been able to sit down with somebody I've been wanting to sit down with. No, it's not Sven. He's coming up next. But uh, one of Sven's friends, Micah, and this is a real interesting guy. It's kind of... a coincidental sort of thing. He's a sailor and he's a hiker. He did the Appalachian Trail in 2010, two years before I did it, only he was doing southbound and he was doing it as his honeymoon. So we get into some trail stuff. Uh, He also works with a foundation down here called Sail Future, which is Basically taking at-risk youth, getting them out on the ocean, teaching them trades in the ocean or in the sailing sort of industry. I mean, really, really great stuff. Um, Super interesting guy. Nice. Couldn't ask for a better guest on this podcast. Really exemplifies um, everyday people doing extraordinary things. So before we get into it, as I always say, if you want to support the show, which many of you have, it's fantastic. Uh, you can head over to Patreon and, and join the Patreon family. The link is in the description. We've also got, obviously, some uh, some new merch, some new shirts out there. The Knockdown Edition, November 20th out there. It's got a pretty cool picture from the trip uh, on the shirt. So picking those up really helps just basically support me getting more parts to get Sparrow back up to ocean-ready status. Uh, but other than that, if you want to reach out to the show... Head over to sailingintooblivion.com and uh, you can click on the podcast link and it'll say contact the show and you can just email me and I'll respond or I'll respond via the podcast. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Micah. Michael, welcome to the show, my friend. I appreciate this. This Thank you, Jerome. Thank you for having me, man. This is just our our second meeting, but um, you know, that first one, when I found out you had, you'd done the trail, all of a sudden there's like a a kindred spirit thing, I think, between all AT hikers. There's very kindred spirits. We had lunch two weeks ago with people that we had hiked with for three weeks in Maine in oh, 2010, really? and they were passing through Florida and looked us up. It's so crazy, yeah. No I, other time am I going to go on a vacation and like not see somebody in a decade, and they're just going to look me up. Right, right, right. There is, there's, but there's this, that camaraderie, this thing that we hold on to. And I, you know, I had a buddy of mine, Bo Jangles, who. I met him in Hot Springs, way down south. Didn't see him again until, I think, Monson, Maine. By that point, we had big bushy beards, barely recognized each other. He ended up coming with me on Sparrow from South Carolina up to Maine. For I think an adventure. I, that was in the book, right? Uh, was, no, was, this wasn't in the book. This was uh, just, I think, two years ago we did the trip. He he was just down for the adventure. He's a surfer. Maybe you just told me about it then, because it sounds sounds. I familiar. think yeah, we may we may have talked about it, but I mean, you know, he he was a little uh, little seasick. It was his first time offshore and stuff. Didn't ever dampen his spirits. I mean, he was the best crew I could ask for. It was it was pretty phenomenal. But That's to awesome. have yeah that sort of AT connection, it's it's crazy. And then when you meet somebody that has AT. And you have sailing. Yeah. One of my wife's best friends, Danielle, uh, down here, her trail name's uh, Flipper. 
her guy's name is Skipper Kyle. What, what was your trail name? Uh, Mega Mo, Maine to Georgia Mo, because we were Sobos. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, you guys were south. And then my wife's trail name is Ragamuffin. Nice. Her that's hair was one. crazy. So one of the when she got out of the tent every day. And then a, <laughs> a, a hostel in the south put us together and named us Ragamo. So that's oh, going nice. to be the name of our sailboat someday. Oh, really? Right. Oh, there you go. That's And then cool. I, when we first moved down here, one of the first young couples we met um, was working on their boat. And I was wearing an AT shirt. And she's like, oh, I hiked half the trail last year. And then I met Kyle in the Chesapeake. And we sailed the boat. I'm like, you're a chick under 40 and you're a, you're a sailor and a hiker. You have to meet my wife. I mean, yeah, right. they were both in there. Yeah. It's a, a rare combination. Ago. And we're still friends with them. Yeah. They're great yeah. friends. It's a, yeah, I'll tell you, after this last trip, uh, the idea of a nice long walk in the woods sounds, sounds pretty good. I've been toying with the idea of the Pacific Crest Trail. I know it's a little bit different. Well, it's a lot different than the AT for sure, but you know, a new experience. I've always said that I would love to do the AT for the first time again. But obviously, you can't do that. You can never replace that first through yeah. hike. We have, I have a friend named Robert that just finished. haven't seen him in a long time, but through social media, he just completed the Pacific Crest Trail. And it was really fun to follow him because years ago. this year? He did. Oh, wow. But about a decade ago, he was this guy I met on a nonprofit trip in Haiti in Panama City. He was from Panama City, Florida. And he's like, hey, we're going, uh, I'm going to do a three-day hike on the Appalachian Trail. And I said, you need my gear. He's like, well, I looked at the temperature in Atlanta, and it, it didn't look that bad. I'm like, oh, man. So I literally, I mailed him my Western Mountaineering bag because it was early March. Oh, uh, yeah. You're gonna he never heard of hiking stuff. poles. And so he did like 30 miles, and he called me. He's like, dude, thank you so much for your gear. It was epic, but I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> Panama City. And then it was cool to see that. You know, I don't think that's the reason he's hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, but it definitely you know, those small three or four day trips could be a make or break for the future. And, yeah. and to see a guy like that, that I didn't even know he would, he had that goal after that, but to see him hike years down the road was pretty cool. Well, it does. It's sort of, uh, I, I think it, it, the passion can all of a sudden just sort of be born by just getting out there for a little bit and seeing the possibility. I mean, you know, you may only do, like you said, 30 miles on that trail and then you hop off, but that trail keeps going, and you're looking at it and thinking, it keeps all the going. way to Maine, all the way to Maine, all the way to Maine. Well, now it's harder for me to day hike, and I I, I enjoy a good day hike, and we we hike with my dog and wife, and it's a good time. But that feeling of, you know, I'm planning today, but I could end up here. I could end up here. The of the through hike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's something, and I'm sure it's that way with you and sailing, like going out for three hour sail is fine, but it's like, there's something about there's it, something about the unknown of tomorrow that is really what you get addicted to. Well, and, and for me, it's, you know, I've always been trying to answer the question that inevitably comes up of like, why, why would you do this sort of stuff? Why would you do these big sailing trips? Why would you spend all that time alone? And I think for me, a big part of it is witnessing and being a part of the change both mentally and physically when you take on these long-term sort of adventures um it it always fascinated me when i read about the first people that were doing this especially the sailing because you know they were going off into the unknown they didn't know if if the human mind could handle being alone and isolated for that long and you know outside of prisoners in solitary confinement there was no you know there's no litmus test essentially for this and uh 
you know, the thing for me was I wanted to see what happened when I did it. And, and that I think plays a big part in the, in the why. And it still does, even though, you know, I've, I've gone, you know, essentially about as far as you can go without stopping, um, so to speak, without repeating yourself or, um, retracing your track. There's still just, you know, I guess maybe as I get older or something, it's still, you never know what's going to happen out there, like on this last trip and sort of the challenges that are going to make or break you. And I, yeah, it just, it still fascinates me to see how I change and how my perception of the world around me changes when I'm out there. Um, I've, I've always talked about it being this, this sort of switch over from, high octane input of screens and computers and phones to low level input of the ocean waves, the clouds in the sky and the boat sailing on the wind. And that's it. And it takes a while to sort of morph into that. But when you do, it's something pretty special. I don't know if I told you, I did my longest, uh, distance sail last month. Oh, really? Yeah, 1,600 nautical miles, part of the Salty Dog Rally. Oh, you did the Salty Dog? Those guys yeah. used to come down when I worked yeah, at the Yeah, the Chesapeake uh, down to Antigua. And, oh, nice. Um, it was my longest time offshore. What so. type of boat was it? It was nice. I mean, it was an HH-50 carbon catamaran. Okay. Hole number okay, one. Okay, very nice. Guy yeah. named, uh, a little different than the Jeff old Jeff Marks myself. and Melissa Fraley. They're, they're good friends that I met as clients, and we ended up, um, I ended up racing with them, and... Uh, they they're doing their bucket list and and cruising around on it. So it was it was really fun to help them out. And how long did it take? Eight days. We're averaging over two hundred. I mean, days. yeah. You there was one day I was getting ticked because it was at night and I was the you know eleven p.m. to three a.m. guy and I'm following AIS. I'm making coffee. I'm sitting. It's a very nice luxurious catamaran. And this one boat was going fourteen and a half, and we were trying to squeeze twelve, and we're we're reefed. Staysail out, very conservative sailing. Yeah. But I was still trying to tweak a little bit on, you know, out of the sails to get faster. And I got to Antigua. And it was a 130-foot monohull that was beating us at... <laughs> that was going on 14 and a half. Yeah, and yeah, we were going right. to, I'm like, okay, we're okay. Um, it was a different motion, though. I got I got really sick day two and three. And, like, I was sick like I hadn't gotten before. Was it headwinds you were going into or what? No, it was the it was the lunging surfing. Oh, A monohole okay. that wallows. Yeah. This would go over. And it was so fast. We were, you know, and it wasn't, we were sailing very conservatively, but still moderate waves. We were going 14, 18, 5, and, and we were just that. It was the motion that got me. And yeah. as soon as I got my sea legs the next day, I was fine. But it... I have some long distance sailing. My wife told me that we're catamaran people a few years ago. Yeah. So um, it was a great experience for me. Oh, that's yeah. very cool, yeah. man. Gosh. And the the closest thing I've found to the hiking culture is the cruising culture there, and sailing. There's a lot that coincides for sure. And it's a world that doesn't mix much. I don't mean many sailors that are long distance hikers, and I don't mean many long distance hikers that are sailors. But that, hey, it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are what your education was, what you did in the real world. You're a sailor. I'm a sailor. I'll help you out. And, and I think you, the same is true on the trail. Well, yeah, because you're, you're in that environment completely surrounded by Mother Nature, whether it be the woods or the waves. And it really, you nailed it on the head. It doesn't matter what you're doing in the civilized part of this world. Once you get out there, everybody, these are great equalizers for everybody. And you can probably attest to this way more than I can, but... 
it's one of both of those experiences are the only thing that the more you do, the more confident you get while simultaneously becoming more humble at each. Oh yeah. I mean, what else do you do so much that you become really confident at it, but yet you can still weather can kick your tail in the backcountry, or, I mean, you've sailed around all the Southern Capes and your last trip, you had some of the most harrowing stuff yeah, you've experienced. Yeah, yeah. So more confident than probably ever in a lot of things, but also totally humbled by the earth. Well, yeah. And I, I think that is something that you really can only understand when you've been out there. Again, whether it's the woods or the waves, you can, you, you can think you've got everything on lockdown. You have all the experience in the world, but Mother Nature is always going to be able to best you and outlast you and show you a ferocity if if she wants to uh, that that can just take you down. I mean, you know, how many stories of people dying in the woods and dying at sea? I mean, it, it is a possibility. And I I think that might be part of the draw as well. Um, I guess that's why they would call it an adventure by any means that we're just a blip. And God's big creation. Yeah. You know, we're just... Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I, I've always, even in some of the videos uh, that I've been sort of editing together, you know, I can see myself saying, you know, boy, I wish you would calm down. And I'm like, um, it's useless to say that because the ocean doesn't even know I'm on. <laughs> no, Not a just... clue. Doesn't care. Like, there's that whole idea of like the ocean is an evil, like angry, mean place. It has nothing. It's just... It's wind and it's waves. And it's and the ocean has taught me patience, even though I haven't done around the world sailing yet. I mean, just being in a bad beat the, for the first time when I was just me and Courtney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've got to, we're not getting off the rail. You can't just, you can't just say, okay, we're going to stop now. That's, I think, probably one of the, the biggest things about sailing. Um, you know, I, I was saying... A lot of people are like, well, are you going to try and go back out? You know, is this going to be it for you? And in the end, you know, after the night with the knockdown and all the damage and stuff, yeah, I mean, if I could have pressed the pause button and somehow gotten off of the boat, you know, who knows what would have happened after that? The whole idea of like, you got to get back on the horse. Well, with sailing, you can't get off the horse unless you actually fall off it and then you're dead anyway. But I was lucky that, you know, I ended up having to go through two more systems before I reached sort of calmer weather and then got back. But I was out there for another two weeks before I could finally reach land. And, uh, I think that's beneficial in some ways, but it's also lends itself to the adventure of like, it's a hundred percent commitment when you leave the, you know, the sight of land. Once you're, you're headed out on one of those passages, you're in it and you're in it until you get back. And there just isn't that possibility to just be like, Nope, I'm done as much as I may have wanted the world around me to calm down. And those last few weather systems not to hit me. You just have to keep going and going and going and pushing. Most through hikers have that experience somewhere along the trail where it's like, Oh Yeah. You know, it's not like everybody's like, oh, that's amazing. You've done, you've done a through hike, you know? Well, it's, it's not, you know, Red Bull Sean White the whole time. I mean, it's not, it's, no, definitely not. you know, it's, it's after about three weeks, like oh, I'm burn. still, I'm still hiking. So you're going to, you're going to have those moments. What was the best advice anybody gave you before you hiked the trail? 
that you utilize? Uh, I think honestly, it was really all about the start, not just jumping out and trying to do huge miles, taking it really not acting like slow. this is an Ironman race. Just yeah, because there was there were just so many stories of people doing too many miles too quickly, getting hurt, and then you know your your hike is over. And it, in, in a lot of ways, the same with sailing. Like if you go out there and you start acting like you're in the last leg of some race, you end up breaking your boat. And once you, once you either injure yourself or you break some equipment, I mean, that pretty much ends your hike. Yeah. And, and so that was probably what I was most sort of worried about. Cause you know, I'm, I'm old. I, I, it was 10 years ago. So I would have been 32, 33 years old and you know, my knees weren't in the best, best shape or anything like that. And I knew I could feel my knees pretty much from the get go. Um, but it was just, I heard that voice in my head of like, take it real slow in the beginning, build your strength, build your legs up. Um, the one thing I didn't really heed was trying to really lighten your pack up for that first chunk. You know, because I ended up adding weight later, uh, but I started out with maybe like 36 pounds. And I think if I would have been able to keep that more at the 30, 25 to 30 range, that probably would have helped my knees. Um, and it just would have made it a little more pleasurable, I think, maybe that that break in period. Because, I mean, did you do a lot of training before you went? We didn't have a chance to do a lot of training. It was uh, it was our honeymoon so oh, yeah that's right so we we were quitting our lives hiking and then moving to florida and uh so we were so busy preparing for the wedding we were pretty light i had that dialed in we yeah i went to a college called Truett mcconnell before we transferred to the university of georgia and that was 30 40 minutes away from wallace Yee right there at the Nils oh Gap. Yeah, yeah right so for years i had been hiking and you know day hiking over on blood mountain and seen northbounders come through with 80 pound packs just miserable it's pretty shocking when you, <clears throat> when you start off with all those people and you're seeing sort of the the various types of hikers because uh, you know pretty much all of us were it's our first time you only yeah. get the there's a few people that have done it before that, that are doing it again but yeah i mean everybody's sort of a collection of like i think i'm doing it right and the year we were hiking uh went porter still owned um that outfitter there I don't know if you've ever read his book. It's my favorite outdoors book. Oh, really? Sidgers. What's it called? Um, it's called Just Passing Through. Oh, okay. Um, by Wynton Porter. And he was the owner. And it's not a through hiker book. It's just a, a book of all the characters that go through there. But it's the best analysis of like the through hiker culture I've ever read. And it's just, it's really good read, even if you're a non-hiker. Well, like, and, and just for the listeners, the Wallace Yee is the first sort of little, it's it's like this little outfitter just before you cross from Georgia to it's 30 miles in from the Southern terminus. And it was built by the CCC. Uh, it's a neat little building. And so as this outfitter took it over and, um, anyway, every year they let these northbounders come through way overloaded and they really help them out. Yeah. And they do some stuff that doesn't make sense for retail. Like it doesn't make sense in an REI for a guy to spend that much time with you. Even if you're, he knows you may only buy a granola bar, but they're they're Still. great in the trail culture. So we had that luxury as being southbounders, but we we knew those guys and they really helped us out on the front end. Okay, yeah. The poor southbounders, they don't have anything like that because yeah. we hiked with some of those people, 
And some of them became friends, but uh, one, one guy, if his father had 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 a lighter pack, I think he would have gone further. He blew his knee out. And they, I was talking to him in the 100-mile wilderness, and he was like, I got the lightest of everything. I got the lightest hatchet. I got the lightest this. I got the lightest 80-liter 80, 80 pack. The lightest hatchet. <laughs> yeah, he had the lightest of everything. Um, uh, but we basically hike a Totten, and the hike up for us doesn't even count. The hike yeah. doesn't start until we get to the top. Right, right. And then we have an easy hike after Katahdin and then we're in the hundred mile wilderness and there's no outfitter to be like, Hey, you guys are really not packing appropriately. Well, and yeah, I mean the first town you get to is Monson and there's nothing in Monson either. No. So the Sobos, you know, we, we weren't expert hikers by any means, but we, we, we helped some Sobos out, oh, especially in Monson and right before the, well, I, I can remember when I finally got into Maine, I think it was around like the blue mountain area. And Maine is is definitely, I believe, the hardest state to to hike in oh, on the sure. whole trail. I mean, you know, you've got the Mahusik Notch, which is legendary for you're basically scrambling over mm-hmm. boulders. But the rest of Maine is just big, burly mountains, lots of exposed granite. Um, and when I was there, it rained almost every single day. The trail was just a creek, essentially. But I can remember coming into every shelter because I always liked looking at them, whether I was going to stay or not. And man, that was when I first started encounter the Sobos. And the word misery does not like do any <laughs> justice to what I would walk into, you know, completely covered in, in dripping equipment and rain jackets and clothes and just these dark rings around their eyes, Southbounders, like, what have I done? What have I done? And I'm bouncing in there because I'm on my last state. I'm in incredible shape at this point. And I've always got beers in my backpack. Um, I At this point, I'm fully loaded. So I have this like, big blow-up um, Crazy Creek chair. <laughs> I'm just loving it. And I'm trying to take in as much because the AT for me was one of the greatest trips I've ever been on. And I'd hop in there and it was like the same thing. I'd drop my beers off to whoever needed them. And then give as much encouragement. And they all had the same question. They were like, tell me it gets better. And I'm, I'm just a big smile, soaking wet, just loving it. And I'm like, oh, it gets so good. You we, guys had the, we had one of the going. best experiences in Maine, I think, because somebody had given us that insight. Don't be in a hurry. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we had just sold everything. And I remember... We, we hiked Katahdin, and then it was like, oh, we're really doing this. Courtney and I, but we were so concentrated on the wedding thing and everything else. Yeah. Closing down our lives in Georgia that it, it really didn't hit us until day three. My, my wife had hurt her foot, and then we're walking into the 100-mile wilderness, and we make it about 100 yards in, and my wife, Courtney, turns, and she bears her, her head in my chest and starts bawling, crying. Oh, wow. And I'm a newlywed, man. There's no... There's no husband manual I can open and be like, yeah, well, yeah. honey, we don't own anything. We have 99.5 miles to go. <laughs> we haven't had a backup plan. There's no job to go back to. Right, right. Um, Commitment right there. What do you do? And uh, But we, we just took one day at a time and we got through Maine. We spent a month in Maine. The one thing I did like about being a solo about Maine, number one, we had a really good rain year. 2010 was much better than 2009. Yeah. And we were we started July first. We got to swim just about every day. Oh, that's yeah, that's um, when it's like eighty five degrees. It in was Maine. beautiful. Yeah, we got to swim. Um, we just had the best 
time. And the other advice somebody had given me, they said, do it in your first 90 days because you're going to get to a point where if you don't make progress, you're just not going to be able to handle it mentally. You need to get some miles in. Yeah. He said, but take time in your first 90 days and do a zero at a camp spot, not just in town. Okay. I like that. So we got to Pierce Pond. I don't know if you remember Pierce Pond. It's the place where they had a fly fishing outfitter you could hike to for breakfast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went so we had there. breakfast. There's eight Sobos there, six or eight of us. And I said, guys, let's vote if we want to take it zero just here and just swim and play poker all day. And and everybody voted to stay except for my wife. I'm like, I should have asked. but I'm <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, Well, you're building the manual. And it felt point. a little weird not hiking, but that was we did that and we did it at a at a shelter in Massachusetts and I could totally see because by the time we got to the Smokies we couldn't have enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But I'm those are two of my most memorable days on the trail where we just took a zero at a campsite and just enjoyed it. Yeah. And, well, you know, yeah, there is like, I think it it can kind of wear you down, especially in the long run of you know every day trying to make miles, like having that sort of monkey on your back in a way. Um, and when you do, and you decide like, you know what, we're going to take full on zero. We're just going to sort of enjoy it. It's, it's the time. It's like a day off, but you're still an AT hiker. It's not like you've clocked out and now you got to go do other stuff. It's, it really is that day off. But early on we were able to enjoy Maine because I think I, I, you know, I didn't have my eye on the prize yet. We we're just trying to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was able to just stop and smell the roses more than the Nobos hiking past me, the North Bounders. Yeah, yeah. Because they and I get it; they had their eyes on the prize. They're almost done. Uh huh. Or for me, I'm just trying to survive. So we just soaked Maine in a lot, and we had a great time there. And the only North Bounder that we met on the trail that we had hiked more than to get kind of that experience you did mm -hmm. was in our last 15 or 20 miles. We met this couple, and they had had they were starting in January, so this is January for us. Oh, Early geez. January. Wait, so is this is this down at the and in this Georgia? This is past Willacy. Yeah, this is in Georgia. Oh, okay. This, this is, is the, like the tail end for us. We're a day or two away. And this couple had, uh, we met them and they said, hey, we're, are you guys Sobos? I said, yeah, how can you tell? How are you Southbounders? They said, oh, you just look like it. You look like through hikers. And that's you the first rugged. time a Northbounder had yeah. been. And I kind of got that feeling like, oh, this guy's looking for encouragement because he's, I'm like, yeah, how are you guys doing? And they had made it like 20 miles, and it was day six. They take. Well, it was January though, right? So it was January. They that. both started with 40 negative 40 degree uh, sleeping bags. They were they were set up to go to Antarctica. Yeah, they, right. So I said, I said, hey man, you were 10 miles away from this outfitter at Neil's Gap. Just let him go through your pack. No, man, I think I'm good. I was like, brother, it's day six. You made it 25 miles. Trust. Just trust me, man. They know what they're doing. <laughs> and you don't have to take their advice. Hike yeah. your own hike. They're not going to charge you. Not for that. So the next day, we had a couple days later, we had finished and we went by the hostel there. And I left a bought some Cokes and M&Ms and we left it for him for our first trail magic for no Trail magic, yeah. And then I'm coming by and he goes, Megamo. He said, thank you so much. They took a ton out of my pack, but I wouldn't let them take my katana. And I was like, katana like a ninja sword? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, man. And he went and showed me his katana, and I was like, "Can," and we went outside, and we he showed me some moves with his ninja sword. Really? Uh, I don't know if they, I don't know how far they made it. We kept up with them for a little while, but I know they they made it a few months at least. Really? Yeah, but it's that kind of story. It's like, okay, 
you know, hike your own hike, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that, you know, it, there's there's all those weird little nuances, um, especially I think you probably see more of it being a northbound hiker leaving in March and April when, when you're in the masses. But you do get a lot of people that uh, haven't embraced that whole idea of hike your own hike and people dulling out advice every which way and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But again, you know, you got to hike your own hike in that sense as well. Because yeah. some people just like to do that. I remember, uh, I remember my gators were like one size too big. And for some reason, there were quite a few people that decided to let me know that my gators were too big. And they were fine. I liked them. They fit. They didn't rub me raw or anything like that. But I don't know. That whole if, hike... if people come up to you and try to give you sailing advice now, do you, do you, do you say anything or do you just smile and nod? You know, like, they don't know. If a guy comes up to your boat and like, well, son, before you go offshore, you may want to. It's it's actually kind of funny you bring that up because probably one of the, the best... Uh, the best things that has happened since going around the world is that the amount of advice doled out by fellow sailors is, is at an all time minimum. Um, but it is every once in a while I will get, uh, somebody who doesn't know what the boat's done or anything like that. And, uh, and then they'll start kind of commenting and, you know, you ought to change this up or, would they'll see a video on YouTube and be like, oh, you know, how come your halyards are just lying there on the deck? Man, that doesn't sound, that doesn't look good. You shouldn't do that. And I'm sort of, I, I usually don't have to chime in. Typically other people will be like, hey, you know, you might want to Google this boat just to see where it's been and my, all that stuff. My favorite story of that outfitter at Neil's Gap, I think it's in Wenton Porter's book, but I think it was told one time at a hike big hiker festival or something was nimble will nomad do you know who he is yeah 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 he's hiked a ton of miles he's a real famous hiker if nobody's ever he i think he wrote a book called four million steps from he hiked from key west up the he AT, did like the international, international AT, at all within a yeah. year he's you know triple crowner multiple times and so crazy neil's uh wimble will is a creek near neil's gap and mm -hmm. he owned a little creek there or a little cabin there that's how he got his trail name oh really and apparently this one guy comes up, all his gears from Walmart, he's got four days in, and he felt bad for Nimblewell, who's got a long beard, thought he was almost homeless, not a retired doctor that had hiked more miles than anybody yeah, in the world, right. <laughs> starts giving him advice, and Nimblewell didn't correct him. He let him tell him how to hike for an hour, just yeah. sipping his coffee. And he goes inside to get changed to give the old man to get him some more gear because his pack's so light. And he says, uh, when says, Hey, you might want to come look at this book on the shelf that he wrote <laughs> <laughs> call you know, and, uh, yeah. but he didn't try to correct him. And I've, that really stuck out to me. Like sometimes you just need to, you just let, yeah. Smile and nod. You know, if somebody's really wanting to have a conversation, they will, but if they're just looking to dole advice and they don't know your background or judging you by your cover, you know, then sometimes let them give it and just say, thank you. It is. Well, and it, it is kind of <laughs> funny sometimes because you're sitting there sort of thinking like, geez, like, and then maybe they'll find out vicariously and they'll be yeah, like, holy yeah. cow, I gave that guy advice on how Whoops. to. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and I, it's one of those things I, I really am not somebody who likes to give advice to people unless they ask for it. Um, just because I was never a fan of that when I was first starting out, you know, that was one of the things that put me off a little bit, especially about the racing world, I guess. Um, it just seemed like 
everybody wanted to show off just how much they knew and they wanted to be as loud about it as possible, uh, which is, like I said, one of the benefits you sail around the world and you don't really have to hear that too much. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it's one of those things where it's just part of it. It's all part of it. It's fine. It's all part of it. But having some of those experiences has helped me, you know, uh, I've got plenty of small advice for what it's worth, but you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and that's, I'm, that's kind of looking to dole it out unless you're asking. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's kind of one of the things that I know eventually I'm going to make the transition between having my own adventures and sharing mine and teaching and like helping people do theirs. And I look forward to that tradition or that uh, transition. I mean, I, you know, I used to teach sailing and running the sailing schools and all that, which was one of the best jobs I think in the world. Cause you know, you can be an instructor of so many things and never actually be able to participate in what you're teaching, but sailing you're on that boat. You are sailing with the students and you're out there. I mean, even when you're skiing and you're a ski instructor, you're not really skiing that slope like you want to. But with sailing, you're on that oh, boat and you're point. sailing yeah. it. And I, I always loved it. Um, you what know, do you think that looks like for you? I mean, I know that you may have not nailed it down, but what is what is your the next phase of teaching look like for you? Is it? Well, I think it's kind of two parts for me. I think... I think a big part of it is sharing my experiences um, in the hopes of, you know, not only sort of entertaining people, I guess, uh, but also inspiring, you know, the next generation of, of solo sailors or just offshore sailors or anybody willing to take the leap that that wonders about it, because that's that's sort of where I was at one point in time. And I sort of expounded upon it when. I knew I fell in love with sailing and I love doing yacht deliveries and teaching it and all that. And then I discovered the solo sailing books. And then, then it was like a leap of faith to actually go purchase a boat intentionally to do that trip. And I'd never solo sailed a day in my life. And that's the sort of, um, the Wesso was your first solo. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I I know, know well, that and the, the first sail, I was with my dad, and we sailed from Florida down to the BVI. That was the shakedown cruise. Um, but my first actual solo sail was from the BVI to Dominica, which is 275 miles. Um, so it was like a, I think it took me two and two and a half days, three days, something like that. Barely slept at all. Just freaked out. Uh, luckily, I cut inside in the Caribbean Sea, and so there wasn't any traffic. I wasn't like following the island chain, but I don't I don't remember any specific times where I was thinking to myself, "Wow, this was a really bad idea." I think I enjoyed the challenge of it, and even though it was like sleepless, and I think there were some choppy rough seas, and you know, I was making mistakes left, right, and center. Uh, but did Jim, your dad, your dad? Did he know that your next leg was solo? When oh, yeah, yeah. He knew. Like when we're So we sailed down. It took us 14 days because the engine sucked water in through the exhaust, and I didn't know how to fix it at that point. 
So we were engineless from day two all the way to the BVI. Really? Yeah. And it was, it was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, his, but you still had the self steering was working at the time. Yeah. The Aries always works. Uh, I had a solar panel that I installed, so we had some electricity, not much. Um, but you know, my father, he, he shares the same sense of adventure that I do where we had the option of, you know, trying to sail into somewhere in the Bahamas. I had the charts for it and everything. And we both sort of were like, we don't need the engine. It's a sailboat. Let's just continue on and let's sail the thousand miles or whatever more. But he was still, well, he probably gave you the fatherly confidence where he wasn't like, are you sure about doing this whole thing? Or was he like, all right, boy, you got this. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, he, <laughs> I think the motion of the old West sail uh, for him at that time was just a little bit undesirable to say it nicely and the joinery on the boat to this day still sounds like a popcorn maker down below when you're in rough rough weather it's like pop 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 pop, pop all over the place a little bit of creaking a lot of creaking yeah i actually had to take a sawzaw and cut a piece of wood out on this last trip that was rubbing so loud i mean it was it was insanely loud and it took me forever to find it um but no you know he i think he had said at one point, are you sure you want to do this or you want to do it on this boat? Uh, but we had also gone through, you know, like a force nine gale or something like that just before we got to the islands. And I helmed through the night just to see what it would be like. And he was a little mad because he wanted to helm a little bit of that. And because, uh, again, he's got that sense of adventure. And, yeah. Oh man, you know, yeah, you pull, pull the skipper card on your dad. Was that like, yeah, nah, nah, I was dad, like, get back below. down below. <laughs> Changing of the roles, huh? Handing, handing of the guard, right? Yeah, you know, it was just one of those things where he and he understood afterwards because I remember he was kind of mad at me. And uh, he had, I think, you know, years later, he was like, you know, I didn't understand at the time that you were trying to sort of sort things out and figure out what it would be like to sail through a gale. And, and so I guess I understand why you did that. <laughs> and I'm like, nice. We're back on the Thanks, Pop. level playing field. Well, here. it's been fun since your, your mother moved to St. Pete, uh, your mom and dad, but to, to hear your mother's side of the story and, Oh, I know. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, just, you know, basically this perception of like a good mother's in the seventies and eighties. I, Challenged my boys to follow their dreams. I just didn't know how far it would go, you know? <laughs> I didn't and she did. Realize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're fortunate to grow up at that sort of that last little moment before the world got a little crazy with the internet and all that sort of stuff. And it was, yeah. I mean, back then it seemed like that was, it was, the possibilities were endless. If you were willing to do the work, and you, your imagination, you know, the sky was the limit. Yeah. And um, I know a lot of folks, I mean, my folks were the same way and I don't know if, if they had that growing up. I don't know if the boomers had that growing up, but whatever we got put in the, the pop culture in the sixties and seventies for the craziness and the positive things. I, I think one thing they gave us was, you know, you can do, you know, what you put your mind to. You can do it. Yeah. Well, and, and I, obviously there were those epic uh occupations you could have been a rock star you could have been a movie star those were really the only two way out there things and there didn't seem to be quite the emphasis that these days it's sort of like i want to be an influencer yeah and it's possible to at least 
start doing it, whether or not it actually continues and happens. Um, it just does seem like these days it's everybody kind of wants to be a YouTube star or Instagram influencer or something like that. Um, and I don't know, I, I think because we didn't really have any of that, we had to really kind of use our imaginations quite a bit. Yeah, we and, were the last generation that remembers before the internet. Uh-huh, yeah. And it's we were crazy. still had technology. I mean, I grew up with an Apple IIe, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember playing <laughs> Oregon Trail. Oh, man. Kinda, kinda. I died again! <laughs> yeah, that's some good kids of the 80s stuff right there. Well, let me before we kind of get into some of the sailing stuff, because I'd like to talk to uh, to you about what you do with the foundation. Is it a foundation? We With Sail Future? Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, well, well, before we jump okay. into that. Um, Sorry. The AT... What yeah. was your favorite part on that whole trail? Did you have one? Um, I mean, I know Maine was pretty epic, but were there any like absolute pinnacle moments? Uh, yeah, the I mean, it it's hard for me to pinpoint one. Um, the stories, the people doing it with my wife. A lot of these guys that are trying to set speed records. I'm like, yeah, have you ever done it with a wife? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that but, should be an asterisk in there. Speed record with. I wife. think the the high point for me was the day after we had set up, not to get too much in the weeds, but we had set a quitting protocol. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. So we okay. met another couple that had done it for their honeymoon in '09 through yeah. friends of friends, and we took them to dinner in Atlanta. So they had done it the year before, southbound, just like us, uh-huh. for their honeymoon. A year a year prior. Oh wow. Okay. So and I get... think they told us that we made an agreement to never quit in town never quit on a rainy day and if one of us decides to quit we have to give it another week whoa that is some seriously valuable and i think right for there. couples especially because I, like i talked to a lot of through hikers but talking to them was like okay this is a whole new dynamic trying to do it as a couple yeah. and newlyweds right right <laughs> so i thought that was going to happen if that happened in maine or new hampshire because Maine is a hard state, but the it's a catch-22 because after you do it as a southbounder, you're like, we got this. Yeah. it's If all I can do that, I can do the rest. Here, you know yeah. that mentally. So I thought that's going to come in the whites or, you know, New Hampshire. So we had just hit the 2,000-mile mark, and when it's, we had some really miserable experiences in the snow and the Smokies and near the Smokies. I can only imagine. Because, yeah, you, you finished in January. Yeah. There's two types of Sobo crowds. There's the crowd that tries to stay on it and finish by Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then there's the crowd. It's like, ah, let's play around in New England and, you know, enjoy, we'll catch it. A, enjoy it. And we did. We had more fun than I think anybody's ever had in New England and <laughs> as a yeah, Sobo right. honeymoon through hiker. Right. And then that crowd is like, ah, by New Year's good. And we were that crowd. Yeah, and it caught yeah. us pretty bad. So long story short, we're, we're hiking and we had had some miserable snow. And my wife said, I don't want you to get mad, but I'm giving you my week. Whoa. We had less than, that close to the end. We had less than 300 miles. And she goes, I'm, I don't want you to say anything. I'm going to stick to the protocol. I'm going to give it another week. But I'm just, you know, we were pretty wiped out. Yeah. And she had had a stomach bug and there's all this, you know, it's a lot. I didn't have anything to say. Yeah. So a week later, we're like 200 miles away or whatever. And... She just never said anything. And the next day, I think, was my best day on the trail. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I was like, okay. We're that clear. was just... Uh, we're still doing it. We're still doing it. 
Well, we're it's gonna hard. Make this you know, happen, I can you know? imagine. You know, when when you do make a milestone like two thousand miles, there is a part of your brain I think that says, "All right, I've done two thousand miles. I don't need to do another two hundred. I have just ripped this up." And I, it's just some weird little part in there that I think is like a little saboteur, you know, that's sort of like, eh, you know. And I, I didn't feel that way at all. I was great. But, um, but just that day was pretty important. Um, just the crazy stories all through New England. We came upon like a, came upon somebody's 50th birthday party and they had 60 people in a bonfire. So we stayed there for two and a half oh, days. Yeah, yeah, I right. mean, we just had most random experiences. I met a guy in Pennsylvania who said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you guys are hiking up for your trail. He said, I hiked the PCT for my honeymoon in 1980, but we couldn't finish because of Mount St. Helens blew. Oh, I literally had a lunch with him in Pennsylvania. He said, here's my card. I'm a vet veterinarian near Shenandoah. I'd love to do some trail magic. So he picks us up, takes us to his house. I've known this guy for three hours total. Yeah. yeah. He said, yeah, I've kept up with you guys on Courtney's trail journal. We're ready for you. He said, here's two robes, here's toiletries, my wife baked a homemade pie. He said, I'm going back to work, the house is yours. Yeah. He said, there's some beer in the fridge and some hooch downstairs if you want. <laughs> and uh, that kind of stuff, to me, were the highlights, the best well, moments, the the trail magic that was just... And that's stuff that you just don't find in the real world. I mean, and, well, I, you know, I, and I almost hate that term because I tend to think like a place like the trail, that's the real world. Some of the stuff we live in around here in these days doesn't seem quite real. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to go on to one of these adventures to find that sort of stuff. I mean, I can remember a taco stand that got set up right after, right at the exit of the Smokies. And the Smokies were hard. It was cold. It was rainy. Um, it was packed. I mean, there were people getting almost in fights because... Oh yeah, you had that Novo crowd still. See, we never had that. Yeah, well, and 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 the the shelters are only so big, but there's way more people, and you know the shelters are supposed to be for who, and you know disagreements and things like that. Even Bill Bryson talks about it in his book. Um, but it was just a miserable time. We tried to get through it really fast, and I remember getting out of there. And you just see this family, and they they had set it up. I mean, they had chairs, coolers. The tacos were just being cooked right there on the bed of the truck, and just to do trail magic, just to meet people, and there, you know, there's no limit. They're like, eat as many as you can. Yeah. We've got pounds and pounds and pounds, and they were gonna be there all day, and you're just talking with them, and it's just this crazy positive, giving sort of spirit, and in a lot of ways, it's like just when you need it the most. Somehow, Nancy and Bruce Bowman, Shenandoah. I mean, they were great. And yeah, we had, we had, we had a Dean at, at, uh, Dartmouth and his wife take us in and she made us a blueberry pie and she told me it was fresh picked blueberries. And she apologized the next day. Cause she goes, well, I told you they were fresh picked, but I actually picked them three days ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> and we had, we had met them because we were, her, their son worked in the huts. Oh, and okay. She yeah, said yeah. she had always wanted to do trail magic, but she kind of wanted him to vet. And he was like, you guys are newlyweds. My mom's always wanted to do trail magic, but you know, taking in strangers is a new thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, but I'm I'm gonna tell her you're coming, and we, my parents would love to take you in if you if you want it. And they were just so nice. And then 
It's unbelievable. Yeah. It brings out this amazing, amazing giving spirit in people. And for those who don't know what trail magic are, it's when you do something nice for a through hiker. Yeah. You just help I mean, them out. It, it can There's sometimes, no... it's just a cooler sitting at a trailhead and it's just got sodas and Swiss cake rolls and all sorts of food in it, beer sometimes, and you just take what you want and, uh, and you eat it there. Typically, that's sort of the the norm is that you don't like load your pack up with it. You just, you stand at that cooler. You you maybe write a little note or whatever. You have whatever you're going to have and then you move on. Did you ever meet Baltimore Jack when you were hiking through? I don't think so. Doesn't He's a pretty popular ball. hiker if you look his name up. And he had hiked like nine times. And at one point when we were hiking, he hung out with this group of guys that were, they basically, they didn't hike as much anymore. They hiked here and there, but they just lived for the trail and they would do trail magic all around. Yeah. And those guys did some really cool stuff for us in New Hampshire. I'm like, Baltimore Jack, tell me some stories. And there's a whole night of stories. Yeah. I said, what's the best trail magic you ever done? And he's like, well, one time we went up on this side. And we knew this fire road that was near a shelter. So we hiked up there and we told all the nobos for three days to be there. And there was like 40 of them. And oh, wow. he goes, we had food on the kettle. He said, we had a blazing fire going. He said, we made s'mores. We had beer. And then we had a... Uh, we had a projector and we had a sheet on the side. So we all watched Blazing Saddles on the side of a shelter (laughs) in the middle of the backcountry. I'm like, Baltimore Jack, you're a a legend, bro. Everybody already knows that in the trail culture. I'll tell you, well, (laughs) it is amazing. It really is. There were just, there were so many incidences. I obviously can't list them all off. But there's also, I think, a strange bit of almost supernatural uh coincidences that can happen as far as trail magic goes because i mean trail magic you know obviously it's people doing stuff but i think there's a little portion of that that the trail somehow is doing that for you not everybody does i believe the big man upstairs and uh but um you you learn to believe in fate 100 percent. i was in you know uh i i want to say i was headed down towards Gorham, and I believe that's in Maine, maybe New Hampshire. It's in New Hampshire. It's the first town south of Maine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I desperately needed to get in and off of that trail. I think I'd like really worn out my knees at this Done point. Done something or in the something. whites. Yeah, the whites yeah. are pretty brutal. And there was a side trail that takes you right down to the road, right to the town. If you keep continuing on the trail, it was like another six or seven miles. Then it crosses the road and you'd have to hitchhike back. And so it's this huge like detour to continue on the AT. Or I could take the side trail. But I had cut away all of the map and only had the little, um, you know, the altitude and and sort of the, uh, I don't know what they you would call it. But it basically shows you how high up and down you're going to be going. Yeah. So no map. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, man, I just if I only had a map, this is like the one time I wish I had the map. It was going to get dark. I'm probably going to end up staying on the trail one more night. And I'm walking and I continue on on the AT and not 50 feet down the lane. There's a map right on the ground. Somebody had dropped it. Obviously, they were probably, you know, looking at the the side trail and they pulled out their map and they put it in their back pocket and it fell out, whatever. But the fact that like, that was a time where I really needed that. And it was like the only time on the whole 2,200 miles that I really needed 
that actual and you remember that in my hand out oh, of all yeah. your experiences i'll never forget that i mean literally i come around this bend i look down and there's the freaking map right there and i'm just like weird <laughs> and i grabbed it and i saw that the side trail was the one that i had thought of and i took that one down there and was able to get into town that night and it was just odd real odd yeah you know it didn't yeah i don't know it's too crazy it's hard to explain yeah but nothing about long distance hiking or sailing is necessarily logical by today's standards well i mean none of it is even if you told shackleton you're doing what for what yeah yeah right. <laughs> you know yeah. you've huh? probably been like okay well, um, these pursuits, you know, uh, like I said, I, I really do treat them as uh, exploratory in, in in myself and then yeah. also just to be able to spend that much time in nature, I think, completely separated. You know, the AT is one thing. You go four or five days in the woods and you go to a town. You, you head offshore for nine months and... Uh, <laughs> It's a whole, it's a whole different experience for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. And it's not like I hate, you know, the world and society or anything like that. I don't, I mean, I, most of the people that I've met and worked with and all that, they, they're like, how, how do you spend that much time alone? Because you're pretty personable and, and I, I enjoy hanging out with people and talking and, and big groups, small groups doesn't really matter to me. Um, the only guy I've ever met is you that that has made me think of if anybody understands the movie Castaway, where he becomes oh, yeah. friends with a volleyball. <laughs> I bet it's Jerome. I bet it's Jerome. Yeah. Well, I you know I especially after this last trip, I I don't think I'd ever even refer to Sparrow as a boat anymore. I mean, Sparrow mm. is now just Sparrow. And when I talk about sailing, I almost never say I. I always say we. And people always they're like what. Was it not just you, were... you? And I'm like, no, it wasn't me. It was me and Sparrow and Mongo. Mongo's Mon the wind vane, right? Mongo's the wind vane. And Mongo somehow didn't even flinch when we got picked up, turned over, and smashed into the water. Just I last month, right? Uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Weeks it's literally ago. like, I've been back on land for just over a week, and it was two weeks before. It was the 20th of November. So, well, yeah, I guess a month ago. Month month ago now. Yeah, I heard about it. Today. From your mom. Yeah, yeah. I was there. We were working on the dock, and mom's like, so he just got knocked over, and I got a Neridian thing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Makes you feel good as a mother. But, that, was, um, that was a tough one, because I, I, you know, I'm supposed to text them 8 a.m. every that's day. That's your thing, every yeah, day. Yeah, that's, that's my thing. That's how it was around the world and everything. And uh, at 8 a.m. that day, it was pretty ugly out. The waves had heaped up quite a bit. Um, and they, there were sets of waves that were coming in that had breakers, you know, the size of automobiles and buses and things, stuff I'd never seen before. And it was all because I was in a pretty strong counter current and the winds had been blowing 30 to 35 for, you know, 24 hours and wrong place, wrong time, hundred percent. But to the point, you know, I texted them very briefly uh, cause I could not take my eyes off of what was going on. Um, and I just, I think I was on the verge of tears cause I was like, I just put in, I was like, Hey, you know, it's pretty rainy and stuff. I'll update you guys later. Cause I didn't know if there was actually going to be a later. And at the end of that day, when I finally got out of that current and the waves turned back into normal waves and I knew we were going to make it, you know, that was when I let them know 
sort of what was going on, but it was glad you're here, brother. I am too. I am too. (laughs) When I, if I think too much about it, it, uh, it's still a little bit hard to, uh, a little bit raw. Yeah. It just, I just, yeah, it was just these hours of, of watching these waves and just sort of knowing that if they hit us just right, that was going to be it. But, um, again, there were strange coincidences on that. You know, when I had to cut away all the debris that was trailing behind the boat, you know, right after this happened, your Dodger. Yeah. The, the, the arch, the, the stainless, stainless steel arch with all the solar panels that is trailing behind. I never keep my knife in my pocket because the pockets are always salty and wet. I always keep the knife down below. For whatever reason, I had it in my pocket that night. So I was able to just pop them off real fast. Before they became I, a drug and just... Yeah, well, they in. were... they This whole bent-up pipe system and everything was right next to Mongo's hydro blade, the, the rudder mm. that's in the water. And it didn't hit. It did not hit. It scratched the heck out of Sparrow, and it definitely rubbed up against the rudder. There's a whole bunch of paint missing and stuff. But, you know, had it taken out, the the wind vane then i would have been in it would have been a whole new situation of of like me sitting up there exposed without the the lifelines and things like that throughout the night and i you know i had to go up there and bilge and do a bunch of stuff i had to be up there a little bit and i was clipped in you know wearing everything for the first time in my life and uh i just the, the whole time i was up there it's pitch black and i'm just sort of like this is not a good idea to be up here right now because if another one of these big ones pops up, I'm not going to know it fast enough. And, you know, if we get turned all the way upside down again, there's a chance I'm going to get washed away. So it was it was just one of those things where Mongo, I guess to the point, Mongo is, is like my best friend. <laughs> because if Mongo wouldn't have made it, if Mongo wasn't as tough as Mongo is, and, and Mongo is a reference to Blazing Saddles, by the way. Oh yeah, you know okay. that he's the big guy. That yeah. he's, he's the big stupid guy that sits on the back of the I boat didn't know that. and just never stops working. Yeah. Um, if you ever sell the boat, you're gonna keep Mongo and just. Oh yeah, Mongo's coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> Cuddle with it every once yeah, in a while. Right. Nah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely crazy, and I, I'm still trying to process all that stuff. But um, but now that we're on the sailing subject, please. Fill us in, because you you run a pretty unique project. That's uh, well, I'm just a part. So I'm you know we, I have a marine business uh, where we do all kinds of stuff from dredging to dock building to diving and commercial diving. And then uh, but there's an organization in town that just changed the way I thought nonprofit work was done called Sail Future. Um, so they take the most at risk boys in all of Florida, and started by a guy named Mike Long and. Mike's still a young buck. He's in his early 30s. Yeah. Um, and when he was in high school, sailing got him out of some hijinks he said he was into. So when he was at New College in Sarasota, he started an after-school program. And then a couple years after school, he was tired of like teaching these boys to sail and getting them out for the afternoon, but then sending them back to the same culture they yeah. were in. Right. So he got a 65 McGregor in Turkey donated, called his best friend Hunter thompson who was named after hunter s thompson really and he had a good job in atlanta right out of college and said hey i got this boat donated come over to turkey sail it back with me and sail future is a full-time thing now and that's a very brief version of the start and now it's grown to in-house counseling for 
a bunch of boys. They also have a home. I mean, just all the things you don't think about. So they have a home for boys because that once you graduate, once you turn 18, you're you're no longer a minor. So if you turn 18, October 1st of your senior year of high school, you're no longer in the foster system, really. Oh, yeah. So to be able to have a home where the boys still have to pay rent, but they can still be checked on and they have to meet certain criteria, but like a graduate home. Yeah. We've hired a couple boys in that over the years. Um, but what's neat for me is they've taken these boys and they're, um, you know, the, this, this young kid, he's been in gang life. He'd probably be in prison if he wanted a minor sometimes. It's not like it's all roses. He's going to tell you to, you know, go blankety blank the first day. Cause he's, he's whatever he's scarred and he's, but he's not a bad kid, but yeah. they've got these scars of being tough and they come in tough. And then you put them on this boat with one of the captains and they each have a, have a thing. I mean, before COVID, they would go down to the islands and they would do some service work in Haiti and they would do some stuff. And they oh, would be really? in 20 foot seas. Yeah. They would extended Jeez. voyages. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's not on his hill to beat King anymore and he can almost be rebuilt. And then some of the after school programs they do where the boys actually teach adults to sail for the first time on 420s and what is. is oh, wow. Yeah. It's really neat because it's, it's not the, the folks always coming in and, and, doing the good is getting the boys involved and it's turned into an after school program it's turned into full-time they have a full-time counseling center they have a uh full-time trade school um i I think they have they have uh three boats donated now one's a 105 foot motorboat one's a 105 foot sailboat um then they still have the the other sailboat they do trips on but what's really neat is these boys can get hours on a boat like their captain's hours oh yeah while yeah, they're yeah, in high yeah. school sometimes and they can develop a trade so i met the boys i did the sailboat race to mexico st pete to mexico did the 50th anniversary race in 2018 2019 yeah and i met the boys at the race committee and they kind of stuck out a bunch of teenage boys kind of gangly mm-hmm. and uh, i just hung out with them for an afternoon and uh I said, where's your, I've been told I need to meet your founder and I never met him. So I came back and I saw him in a marina. I was in a wetsuit working on a boat and they go, Micah. And their teacher, who was Maddie at the time, um, said, Micah, I would love to, for you to get involved. And I said, well, Maddie, I, I can't write you a big check right now. I'm pouring everything back into a small business, marine business I have. Yeah, yeah. She goes, that's what I need. I need, I need trades days. I said, what do you mean? She goes, my boys can't always... Think of a job between Jiffy Lube and going to Harvard. She goes, <laughs> yeah, developing right. a trade is something that is so much need, but they don't know about them. Can you just do tradesmen's days? So once a quarter, boys would come over. I would cater in biscuits and gravy, and I would take them to meet with a cellmaker, Spen and T-Bone. Oh, okay. I would yeah. take them to JTR Metalworks, and they would be like, Hey, you boys want to crush some metal at 40 tons and, you know, <laughs> right, and, and right. show what a Marine metal fabricator was Mickey, uh, over at the boatyard in Saw Creek at Embry Marine would, would show them what fiberglass work is for a day. Um, oh, wow. So and they're then, getting everything. And then, and it, it wasn't always a kumbaya moment like, Oh, I want to be a fiberglass guy now, but then Maddie would incorporate that into their lessons and at least open the, their eyes to the, Biggest thing we preached is, hey, guys, there's a difference between a job and career. And you can be uh, 45 and not have any semblance of a of a direction. And you don't have to have it all figured out. Um, live life by a compass, not a map. 
but have direction with with the compass you still have direction yeah yeah and yeah. you can change course and then i would just tell them my story and i'm like boys i'm a pastor's kid from atlanta suburbs of atlanta that didn't know i could grow a beard when i was 18 never knew i would hike when i was 18 had never been on a sailboat till i was 25 didn't know i would live in florida and be in a marine business for a living you know but i had direction and i just kept walking through that next open door and now I'm a small business owner in St. Pete, Florida, and happily married. And and just the, the boys hearing that story is pretty cool. So I did a fundraiser for Sail Future at the St. Petersburg Yacht Club. And the next day, Mike and Hunter gave me an email address and told me I'm the chairman of that little nice. <laughs> foundation. Honorary. I like Part it. I created, and I just tried to raise awareness for them. Um, and it's, it's really cool for me to tell my client base because we service over 1,000 boats monthly on their their bottom service their whole cleaning service we have a division oh, okay. that does that yeah and we we build docks and we dredge and i can go to my clients and say hey we don't do you know how to move the knee move the needle in the most at-risk youth in florida well neither do i but here's a group that's using boating to do it let's help them go further faster yeah yeah and raise money along the way raise awareness um Introduce them to folks like yourself so they can know more about it. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. once we finish this up, uh, hopefully maybe we can, I'd love to, to get a bit of an introduction for sure. And I gave, uh, I gave some of the boys your book. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. yeah right when right it came on. out. So thank you for that. Just show them the YouTube channel. <laughs> I have. We've shown them, we've shown them some of that and, uh, um, Mike and Hunter are still running the show over there. So I've told them all about you and would love to, to get oh, you cool. in there someday, but it's, uh, one of the things I figured out, you don't have to know how to do everything. Just help people that are already going down. A tr- I mean, it's part of the going back to the trail. Just help them go further faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, know? and there's a, you know, uh, there's a collective. Uh, you get all these little little pieces together, and then all of a sudden you've got this big machine, essentially. And you can so much can be done with all that. And you you might only play this little role, but every little role is important to make sure that thing is all working and go to the subject matter experts like Mike and Hunter and go to people. Uh, there's another organization called the 410 bridge that I've been part of. And they have done a bunch of trips with them with Haiti and Guatemala and Africa. And one of the things they just helped me realize was the unintended consequences of thinking, you know, what to, to do in a community you've never been to as a Westerner. And it, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Working in a community where a, sh- a church saw people without shoes, so they did a fundraiser, give away 600 pairs of shoes. Well, there's a guy in that community that makes shoes and has two employees, and they put them out of business. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. So there's all these unintended consequences of just going out and trying to help for a day. Well, I, don't, I don't know how to help a foster boy guy. Maybe I can do a volunteer day and feel good about myself. But with that little bit of energy, if a bunch of us just went to sell future and said, okay, these guys know how to do it. Yeah, and they've been at this a while. Why don't we give our time to to them? Yeah, support the, it. Yeah. The, some of the things they've done and the way they work with the boys are things I never knew or thought about. And it's, but they're in it for the long haul. And, yeah, and they're good at it. And they're using sailing to help. And I think that's one of those find the map moments for me is when I met Sail Future. I was like I, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and I'm, but I'm gonna help these guys. Yeah, and so but I like doing this, and it feels good, and it's. It's actually really good for these people. And for me, it was a fate thing. It was like, okay, these guys have all these philosophies that this other nonprofit introduced me to. And I'm, I don't have to have it figured out, but I've, I've run into them and it's a find the map moment. It's like, I'm just supposed to help these guys. Don't know how, but I'm just supposed to it. help yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So I spread the word and 
talk about them and well, we're spreading the word right now. We're spreading the yeah, word right now. I'll be able to put like a link to the uh they've got the website and stuff. I think oh, I've yeah, seen absolutely. some of it. Selffuture.org. Yeah. 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 I'll put a link S-A-I-O. in the description for this. People can check it out. And stuff. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, Thank hey. you so much. Well, I, you know, it's one of those things where sailing and and sort of helping people like at risk youth and stuff like that. Cause because the ocean is, like we said before, a great leveling. It just levels everybody. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You can be six foot eight, 400 pounds of just strict muscle. You get on the ocean in a blow and you're going to, you're going to know what, what real strength is, you know? And the only problem with that is the fact that boats are expensive and they are tough, but boy, they are great. I would think that for our, for somebody without a whole lot of direction in their life and, and growing up sort of with a lot of challenges, let's say, uh, getting onto a boat would be one of the best things you could do because you have to have that discipline. Like you said, it teaches you things like patience. Um, it'll scare you half to death. Sometimes it'll also introduce you to a, a, a world of, of mother nature that is, is more beautiful than anything in the world. I mean, absolutely. I guess that doesn't really make sense what I just said, but <laughs> most of, not growing up sailing. Most of the jobs that I introduced those boys to, I didn't know about growing up. Yeah, I, yeah. I came from a great household in the suburbs of Atlanta. Right, um, right. So just knowing that those experiences exist, I didn't know you could be. You know, they all know from what is it below decks or not now, but I didn't know you could just hop on develop a relationships and be a stew or be whatever as a young person and travel a little bit and if you work hard, you know, see a little bit of the world and. You know, it's a big, vast ocean. So my wife and I have some bucket list goals of, of circumnavigating someday. We'll see if that happens. But yeah, I'm probably not going to do it like you did it. I recommend the trade winds route. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more islands to Milkrun, see. as my wife, is like, let's have two hulls. Let's um, let's not do anything that Jerome did. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we heard you speak in Newport. It was actually the first time I oh, met you. Oh, the debacle of you the, were the keynote speaker yeah, of the Newport yeah. Boat Show, and we were just up there for fun. And I went up and said, "Hey, I'm I'm Sven's buddy." Yeah, I remember. And um, but I remember one of the questions in the Q and A was like, "Have you ever had a bad beat?" And I think my wife and I had chartered a boat, and we, you know, we just had half a day. It was pretty miserable. And, yeah. And you were like, "Yeah, I had a 31 dayer or something, <laughs> whatever you yeah. said." Yeah, yeah. And we left that, and. It was like the first talk at a boat show I ever took my wife to because she wasn't a sailor and I was a new sailor in my 20s was right. John Kretschmer's. He just come out with that Force 10 oh, Sailing Stories book. Yeah. Oh, Sailing a Serious Ocean? Yeah, Sailing yeah. a Serious Ocean. So he, he was telling story. Man. He was telling stories about hurricanes on a high list and this and that. And my yeah. wife looks at me and she's like, this is your first speech you want me to go to? <laughs> And she left John Kretschmer's yeah. deal, and she went to Galley Secrets with Pam, I think, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Pam Wall? Yeah, Pam Wall. Yeah. And then that was a much better. I don't always know my audience. <laughs> and so we left your thing, and she's like, yeah, everything he did, like, totally respected, but let's make sure we don't do half of those things. Let's never sail yeah. alone. Let's never beat in the Southern Ocean. Let's never go to the Southern Ocean was her thing. Yeah, um, let's just but... X that right <laughs> off. <laughs> But I, but it's even for us, you know, it, you know, that wants to just do the milk runs. It's really inspiring, man. Hey, well, and and that's the thing, you know, uh, I, I have a lot of people that are like, thank you for 
you know, telling these stories, having these experiences, because I love reading them and I love listening to them. I'd never want to do any of that. It sounds <laughs> the, like the most miserable, scary thing in the world. That happens with hiking too. You know, yeah. probably get people say, you know, I'm never doing that, but I, I appreciate the stories because I've learned something from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's encouraged me to do whatever. Well, and I, I've always told people, you know, adventures don't have to be, you know, it's not like once an adventure is big and scary and most dangerous enough, then it's a real adventure. No, no, no. An adventure is relative to the person. And an adventure for you might just be like an overnight camping in the backyard. And hey, if it takes you a little out of your comfort zone, if you grow as a person a little bit, and if you, you know, maybe you get scared a little, or maybe you just get to see the stars and it's beautiful and you have a moment, that's what it's all about. Hike your own hike. Hike your own My hike. My wife and I are members of Intelligent Sailing, which is like a timeshare for sailboats here in St. Pete. So we sell a 35-foot Beneteau. Okay, nice. And the biggest, since we don't live near the mountains, the biggest, like, we've had a real stressful week, small business life, yeah, life yeah. is busy, it's hectic. We can sell 20 miles to the Manatee River, which is, a, you know, four or five hours away. We set the hook, we open a bottle of wine, we go on the boat, we watch the sunset, we cook, cook on the boat, and literally it's like, you just turn all that stress right back down it's 20 miles away yeah from here yeah um but to us it gets us the closest we can get in our our sailing florida life to that being in the back country no other distractions that's what it's all about well and it you know there's i think there's definitely a time in everybody's life where you want to be grinding it out you know you've got your your ambitions and your goals as far as like business or whatever but you can never forget for those those just a few minutes or one night every so often that little slice that gets you back to that happy place and it's finding that balance and it's tricky sometimes i mean i know i get wrapped up in all this stuff even the podcast and and books and writing and all that and and yeah every once in a while it just takes me being like you know what i'm going to just disappear i'm going to go do this thing and then it sort of resets, you know. Yeah. What's that quote? Life happens while you're planning for the future. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. Something like that. You know? Yeah, right. I, I probably messed it up, but I think, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I have big goals, and I love to set these goals because they're not some. And then I've got to remember, you know, you can, I take for granted that what you got right around you, right around us. We live 200 yards from the beach. We live in paradise. We, I get to work around people I enjoy and love. I get to volunteer time. And I've been to a lot of countries where that's not the case. And we weren't too far away from that. I mean, five generations ago, 98% of men were doing what their dad did. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. a choice. Right, right. You know, I'm a farmer. You're going to be a farmer. <laughs> I'm a so just the fact that we have, we have choices now is something I see the next generation that have taken on these nonprofit trips. Yeah. They're almost overwhelmed by their opportunities. and They view it as a curse. Right, right. Uh, like I don't know if I want to do this internship. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know what about this degree. And they felt because of the they grew up on YouTube and they so know so much about the world that they have to have it figured out at eighteen. Oh, and they definitely do not. And I've I've taken, you know, church trips and we'll have a Bible study every day. And I've said, Listen, all the people in this book that we're studying right now, the Bible, David didn't know what he would be, Esther didn't know who she would be. The disciples were a bunch of blue collar fishing boys. You know, if, if God didn't tell them what they were going to do for the rest of their life when they were 18, what makes you think he's going to tell you? You don't have to have it all figured out 
Don't we, worry about it. One day at a time and view the fact that we do have choices and live in a society where we do have the freedom to pick what we do as a blessing. And, yeah. You know, well, and look at it as that and say, you know, hey, you know what? I'm going to try that. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to try that. And and you get to sort of dabble until you do. And most of humanity has never had that. I mean, for years and years and years, like. Oh yeah, no, I mean, you know, you know there's many the places in the grind. world where they're just trying to hand to mouth, man. They're not. Life was toil, you know. It you is. Know? It is in a lot of places. So and it still the is, fact yeah. we can do all this and walk for fun for half a year. I know, right? It's, it's crazy. And and it it is one of those things where I'm 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 very glad. That somewhere along the line in my brain, I decided to break away from constantly working. And the AT was the start of that. It really was. It was just this this decision that had to be made where I was like, I need to do something different. And that led directly to the sailing and all the other stuff. And the rest is history. It's inspiring, brother. Keep Thank on keeping on. Well, we're we're well past an hour now. Are we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I think that's a flies. good, the good uh, spot to uh, to end it off with. All right. Well, this thanks, Jerome. Been... Always a pleasure, dude. Dude, absolutely phenomenal. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, you said you were like, I don't know what we're gonna talk about. I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this. You is get a sailor go. and a hiker together, you come up with some <laughs> stories, bro. Good. Exactly. Well, thanks again, man. We yeah, it. no worries. And I'll I'll put the link in the description um, for Sail Future, and uh, people can check that out because it really is. Hell of a program. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, we meet up with them. I don't know if we'll be able to do it while I'm here this time, but if I'll we let can, you do it. We'll I'm make it. We'll make another one of these happen with them. There we go. Sounds All good. Right. All right, thanks, thanks Micah. Take care.